but I see that a spate of by-elections to replace up to five outgoing New South Wales MPs are now unlikely to be held until February next year. That's because the state polls threaten to coincide with the preparations for a federal election. And on top of that, of course, we've got the, the local council elections, which are coming up on December 5. Of the five MPs who have announced their resignation or intention to quit New South Wales politics for a tilted federal parliament, none have formally resigned yet to Speaker Jonathan O'Day. That means that Gladys Berejiklian, Andrew Constance, John Barillaro, Melanie Gibbons and Jodie McKay are still being paid as local members. It's understood that the window for holding by-elections to replace the MPs this year is effectively closed. Let's talk about this and some other New South Wales issues with David Tubridge, who joins us on the program each and every Monday. David, good morning, mate. Yeah, morning, Marcus. Happy Monday to you. Yep, you too. Uh, kids are back at school. That's a, a relief for, no uh, doubt, many both. parents. Yeah, well, both, both. I know both my kids. They're a little bit um, ambivalent about it, like, um, yeah. like I think many kids. They've, they've, they've got used to homeschooling and... Uh, Everyone's a little bit anxious about the start of school, but by and large, I think everybody has been looking forward to this moment. I think it's, it's great for kids to be socialising. We just want to make sure they're all as safe as possible in schools. Um, I'm still not persuaded by the government's efforts at ventilation, but, um, but I think everybody's looking forward to kids getting back to school, getting back to lessons. All right. Now, February, I'm told, is firming as the first possible date for by-elections. Uh, we've got five on the cards here, but Feb- there may be more, we don't know yet, but February, um, the by-elections could cost taxpayers upwards of $6 million in total. The reason they can't be held probably this year or even earlier is because uh, there's a, a looming federal election that may even be called this year, depending on what uh, Scott Morrison decides once he gets back from COP26 in Glasgow. Yeah, well, I mean, we have this ridiculous uh, position federally where the, the Prime Minister gets to choose when we have an election day. We, we don't have fixed electoral cycles federally, and that means a whole lot of uncertainty. Um, and it means this sort of political games that we have been played at the moment. But yeah, I mean, so far we've got five by-elections. We seem to get one a week, so before the end of the year, who knows how many we'll have yeah. at a state level. But there's another reason why it's unlikely to be this year, and that's because the, the local council elections are on the 4th of December. Oh, 4th. I and, think I said the yeah, 5th. And, okay, the 4th, yeah. Um, no, I wasn't. They're, they're on the 4th of December. That's yep. first Saturday in, in December. You could be right or I could be right, Marcus, the first Saturday in December. And... Um, and, and we, we heard from the Electoral Commissioner um, in budget estimates uh, a few months ago, and he said, look, his, his software is ancient. He doesn't have the resources that's needed to, 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 to ensure that even that goes ahead safely. Um, and, and his whole system would melt down if he had to have state by-elections at the same time as the local government by-elections. So I think that's one of the key reasons we're not having by-elections at the end of this year. It's because the government has been starving the Electoral Commissioner of the resources needed to do his basic job of making sure elections run properly. I've been going through some of the emails that have now been made public uh, from the Independent Commission Against Corruption. Uh, a government briefing note was released on October the 20th by the Independent Commission Against Corruption. It contains the most frank assessment of the $5.5 million gift to the Wagga Wagga Gun Club that we've seen to date. As Joel Goodson famously said, sometimes you've got to say, what the, 
you know what, uh, and it's got the proposal, it's got recommendations and all the rest of it. I mean, you say it's impossible to read this and still think appropriate processes were followed despite the Premier at the time repeatedly assuring the media this was the case. Yeah, I mean, you can't read that and, and you can't hear the concerns of some of the most senior bureaucrats, really professional people who have worked in the public service all their life who basically said they were, they were appalled by what happened. This thing was being rushed through with no due process. And, and now we see very senior people from within Treasury, that I think we could call it the WTF memo, mm. saying that this was some kind of sweetheart deal that had been arranged um, and had nothing to do with, with any kind of due process. And, and, and you know, we've, we've seen that from the documents that were produced before this ICAC hearing started. We forced the release of those documents in the upper house and they showed that the initial assessment of this project, the initial independent business case of this project, said it was a stinker. It should never go ahead. And and now we're finding out that that wasn't the only document. There was assessment after assessment after assessment saying, don't do this. It's it's an abuse of public funds. And yet it still got pushed through. Every every stage went pushed and pushed and pushed. And, you know, central to that push was former Premier Gladys Berejiklian. Well, with a week uh, down in the ICAC hearing, uh, you shed some light on the weekend of what's led to this because it's not just two grants at stake here. It's the entire business model of the coalition that seems that sees them repeatedly abusing public money yeah. for their political ends. Last week, we heard from those in Berejiklian's inner circle and the way the process of approving multi-million dollar grants for the Wagga Wagga Gun Club had no transparency, no accountability and no integrity. Now, this week, Gladys Berejiklian herself will front ICAC and answer the questions that we've all wanted answers to for years. With cool, sorry, mate, with cool-headed deliberation and detailed preparation, ICAC will demand accountability. I mean, that's what the public deserves, because at the end of the day, it's not the coalition's money that this government has been playing with. It belongs to all of us. Yeah, and, and, and I've got to say, thank goodness we've got ICAC, because, you know, uh, think back only uh, three weeks ago, and you know when we had the, 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 this 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 inquiry announced, we had the prime minister, we had senior figures from the coalition all coming out and saying, "Oh, how terrible ICAC was! How it was shameful that they were doing this! That there was nothing to see! That yeah. um, you know uh, that putting forward former Premier Gladys Berejiklian as a form of political saint." And um, I I think they forgot one key thing: that is that ICAC is extremely thorough. It does its it does its work with this with this uh, uh, ruthless, cold, apolitical um, focus on the evidence. And and I was fairly satisfied. I was fairly sure that ICAC wouldn't have commenced anything like this inquiry unless it had the evidence to stack up its concerns. And um, and now we're seeing it play out. And I have not heard the prime minister come out and attack New South Wales ICAC again since the last week's hearing. And, and I think they should all be ashamed of themselves for that opportunistic political attack on ICAC. And, and you know, as you say, this is not this has not been the Liberals' money that they've been spending. Um, the $5 million here, the $25 million there, the $250 million there. This is the public's money. And thank goodness we've got ICAC on the case. Well, it's kind of hard to argue when uh, evidence is so confronting, which is what we've seen so far. Uh, the, the Deputy Premier, former Deputy Premier, John Barillaro will front the Independent Commission Against Corruption today. That will be interesting. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. I mean, you know, he, he proudly called himself uh, John Pork Barillaro. Well, let, let's see if he holds on to that proud um, uh, description by the end of this week. Look, I think the other thing that may have missed some people's attention, mm-hmm. um, and, and it was reported last week, and it was apparent when I went and I read through in detail one of the um, decisions that ICAC made about how they were going to use these cabinet incompetence documents. You know, that that memorandum you were talking about before, the WTF memorandum? Yeah. Um, all the evidence about that, the evidence from the first bureaucrat about cabinet minutes and about how these things were being rushed through the cabinet process. Well, the, the Premier's department, under the leadership of the current Premier, in, in just the week before these hearings started, tried to shut all that down, tried to make all that evidence secret and have it all happen behind closed doors so the public wouldn't have heard any of that. And, and, and they made that submission literally in the week before the hearing started, the Premier's Cabinet, under Dom Perrottet. Um, and thank goodness ICAC said no. ICAC said the public has a right to hear. But it goes to show this government wanted to hide everything last week. Mm. And, and I was just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's hardly surprising given how explosive it is. But it's this, this addiction to secrecy which has gotten them in this problem in the first place. Well, uh, appropriate processes need to be followed, no matter who it is, Labor, Liberal, Calathumbian, it doesn't matter. We've got people serving jail time now for ripping off the public and, and taking uh, advantage of their positions. Um, I'm talking about the Obeds and the rest of them yep. that are currently serving jail time. Uh, we don't know what's going to uh, obviously be the recommendations from here for ICAC, but Look, at the end of the day, we definitely 100% need an independent commission against corruption, and this just proves it again. Yeah, and, and, and if people think that uh, politics is any cleaner at a federal level, any better at a federal level, well, then I, you know, I, I see no reason to suspect that. And, of course, we need the same kind of integrity measures at a federal level too. And, and I suppose that's going to be one of the political challenges over the next 12 months. We're going to have this federal election. But we want to make sure that after that federal election, we have the same kind of ICAC federally as we have at a state level. Because for too long, as you point out, coalition, Labor, majority governments have been using public money as though it's their private plaything for political purposes. We need a federal ICAC and we need laws to stop this kind of pork barreling happening as well. just want to play you a tiny bit of audio before I let you go and get your thoughts on it. Of course, um, your party have been, uh, you know, thumping the table on action on climate change now for God knows how long. Here's Barnaby <laughs> Joyce yesterday. But for all those people in regional Australia, that we will be going into bat for them as we always do. And we look forward to the outcome of the Cabinet submission that is coming forward and making sure that what we have negotiated is in the submission so we have a process of a, of a, a firm commitment once more on our behalf regional Australia. So in other words, the Nationals have agreed to the Prime Minister's plan, but their support will come with conditions. I'd love to see the fine print in all of this. Well, we have here the National Party holding the entire country hostage over climate policy. And what I don't, what I can't comprehend from the National Party is if they're genuinely representing people in the bush. Well, well, it's regional New South Wales that is going to get some of the harshest impacts of climate change. These Searing temperatures, uh, uncontrollable fires. And, and the idea that taking action on climate change isn't in the interest of people in regional New South Wales is just plain cooked. And, and, and again, it comes down to the fact that the National Party aren't, aren't representing 
you know, family farmers. They aren't representing people who are, you know, struggling to get by in regional New South Wales. They're representing their big donors in the coal industry and the mining industry. And that, that's, what that's who they're negotiating for. And the, the idea that we would be held hostage to Barnaby Joyce, um, as though the National Party can suddenly live on a different planet, we're on the same planet, we've got a collective obligation to deal with climate. And, and to be honest, the real challenge is what we do by 2030, not what we do by 2050.